0: is proclaimed and the faith is sung and confessed and as we know the good company of one another I thank you for sharing and worship at First Church this morning especially those who may be visiting we are blessed by the presence of our guests we pray this is a blessed time for us all as we worship God together as we gather just a reminder of the registration pads that you find because it helps us to know of you sharing in worship at First Church this morning And as we prepare for worship, we take note of other ministry opportunities before us as we prepare to worship. Just a reminder of the offering of the Lunch Bunch ministry each Tuesday and Thursday morning beginning at 10 o'clock. Volunteers are always welcome to share in this vital ministry as we serve God by serving our neighbors in need. Also the reminder of the Chrismon class that will be offered in the Uptown Ministry Center on Friday. A reminder that... In two weeks, Jill Gardner will be offering an organ recital as part of the Four Sundays at Four Organ program. Uh, A reception is to follow. So uh, if you'd like to help out with that time of reception and gathering, we invite you to do so. Also, remember the Vacation Bible School ministry as that approaches in two weeks. uh, Volunteers are still welcome to share in that ministry. Remember as well the boxes that we see around the church in support of the back-to-school ministry. Uh, This ministry is taking place in earnest in preparation for the first weekend in August. Uh, There was registration yesterday, and there are other dates of significance before us as this ministry approaches, and thank you for your prayers and support of this ministry. As we gather, we continue our way through the Gospel of Luke this year. It is Luke who shares with us in Chapter 10 the story represented by the image that is before us. This is a more contemporary witness to the story that we know as the Good Samaritan, and I welcome being able to see the story that is so familiar with different eyes, with a contemporary witness as we keep this image before us in preparation for that story. Uh, Also, there will be a change. The Old Testament lesson is listed as from Deuteronomy, but I think a more appropriate scripture in preparation for the gospel and the witness that is before us is from Leviticus the 19th chapter verses 13 through 18. Again the Old Testament lesson will be Leviticus 19 13 through 18. We prepare to worship God together. Thank you, Joe. Our call to worship before us, I invite us to stand as we share in this call. Gather us in, Lord, and hear our prayers.
1: We have come to this place in need for healing and
0: Gather us in, Lord, and heal our spirits. Gather us in, Lord, and open our hearts to receive your word. Our opening prayer before us, anticipating the word of scripture before us as well, I invite us to go to God as we pray. We thank you, God, for coming to us as a neighbor, a stranger, an immigrant, binding our wounds and carrying us to safety so that we might love you with all our heart, soul, and mind and welcome the stranger loving our neighbor as ourselves. Amen. Again, we will be sharing the Old Testament lesson from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 13 through 18, words that are gathered up as we share the gospel lesson from Luke. First we pray. Lord, as many voices, many noises compete for our hearing, help us to hear your voice above all others. Scatter aside all that would keep us from your word, and help us to know that you speak to us out of your desire to love us, to heal us, to claim us as your own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor You shall not go up and down as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand forth against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason with your neighbor, lest you bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be we stand as we sing. May be seated and I'll invite our children to come forward as we share in our children's time. I guess this is a time we could sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. Anyone? Or not? Okay. Good morning, children. I'm glad you are here. I'd like to talk today about neighbors and our neighborhoods. Um, Tell me something about your neighborhoods or your neighbors. Are they, is it a pretty neighborhood, crowded? Are there a lot of children your age? Okay, all right. So we've got some older neighbors. Are there animals in your neighborhood? Dogs, cats, deer. Yeah, we've, we. I saw several deer this morning. I always do. So, um, yeah, Paul and I live in a nice neighborhood. We we like our neighbors, and we've got some pets, and we've got some children next door. So, it's pretty quiet, pretty nice neighborhood. Well, the reason I mentioned that today is because we heard from Leviticus, and we're going to hear from the Gospel of Luke, words about treating our neighbors. And Jesus says we are to love our neighbors. And, and we sometimes think, okay, that means the people around us, but I'm going to want to speak about neighbors around the world. Did you know there are so many different nations and peoples all around the world? So this reminds us, as we look at God's world, and here we are, there's, I think, yeah, I was never too good at geography, but... I believe we're there in Virginia, Martinsville, but we spin around and we've got Greenland up there and we've got Africa and we've got Saudi Arabia and Iran and it's just, it's amazing to realize, even though we say it's a small world, it's really quite a big place. And what our Bible is going to say to us when it says, love your neighbor, is, is your love is not restricted to those just around you. Your love is for all your neighbors throughout the world. Because our Bible is going to tell us that God loves those people in distant lands just as much as he loves us. And when he says, love your neighbor, it isn't just those next door to you. It's those all around the world. Because god all of these people all around the world are all God's children And God holds the same love for all His people around the world as He holds for you and me. And we are reminded again that the most important words of Scripture are love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, I'm thankful uh, for God's people all around the world and for His call to, to love our neighbors and to love Him. So, will you pray with me? We thank you, God. For our neighbors who are near and who are far. Help us, Lord, to hear your word and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Amen. Thank you, children. From the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 37, we hear the word of God. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? he said the one who showed mercy on him and jesus said to him go and do likewise this is the word of our lord
1: Amen.
0: while serving a church in shawsville just northeast of here i enjoyed being part of a local lay ministerial association i remember attending a meeting of this association one evening You know how these meetings often begin. There are obligatory reports from standing committees. So after the reading of the minutes from the previous meeting, there followed the treasurer's report. Well, the treasurer was pastor of a nearby church, had served there many years, and before presenting his report, he found it necessary to offer some cautious commentary. Though everyone knew we had healthy balances in checking and savings accounts, the pastor believed we had been too careless recently in dispensing funds to help with utility bills or to buy gas so someone could get to work or to feed a family until payday. Again, despite a financial report well in the black, the pastor felt the need to caution us about being so indiscriminate with benevolence funds having heard this another member of this association seated to my left felt led to respond I had known this man as a man of solid faith and great integrity though generally he was quiet and meek still he managed to say to the treasurer well the Bible says love your neighbor the treasurer was ready for him. The Bible says what? Love your neighbor. That's right, it says love your neighbor. Well, Both men are right. The Bible does say love your neighbor, and the treasurer on this occasion made clear how he interpreted this command found in both Old and New Testaments. Yes, we, he was saying, we are to love our neighbor, but only our neighbor. By dispensing funds so recklessly, we've been loving those who are not our neighbors. And he was saying, we don't have to do that. In other words, for the treasurer, the word neighbor was a limiting, restrictive word. So the command, love your neighbor, was a term establishing boundaries around those we are to love. This is my neighbor, this person I will love. This person is not my neighbor. I'm not commanded to love this person. Still, he knew what the Bible says. Love your neighbor. Well, there's abundant reason to believe the priest and the Levite in this story knew what their scriptures said as well. The priest and Levite, seeing the man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, beaten and left half dead by the side of the road, do not tend to him. They walk by. Now usually this is the point in the story in which you and I are tempted to go, boo, hiss, these bad men. But let's not be so quick to do so. I say this because these men, knowing their scripture, Know they have valid reasons as to why they should not help this man left half dead beside the road. For one thing, they may not know the man is still alive. They may think he's dead. And this being so, they know there are strict prohibitions in Scripture regarding tending to a corpse. To tend to a corpse for priest and Levite would defile them, make them ritually unclean. This means they would not be able to perform temple duties. They would not be able to tend to their worship and sacrificial obligations. There are great risks for these men should they stop and care for this wounded traveler. There's also this. How are the priest and Levite to know for sure that this beaten traveler lying by the road is not simply a trap. How can they be sure that if they go to tend to this man, they will not be lured into a situation where they are robbed, beaten, left for half dead. So again, let's not be too quick to condemn these men who had sound reasons for not tending to the traveler, men who could point to Scripture to justify their behavior. They were faithful to Scripture. They behaved according to right doctrine. They were men who may have acted no differently than you and I would have acted. Then there is the Samaritan. Nowhere in Scripture is he called good, because under no circumstances would any Samaritan be seen as good. Samaritans were descendants of a mixed population occupying the land following the conquest by the nation of Assyria in 722 BCE. Samaritans opposed the rebuilding of the temple and Jerusalem, They constructed their own place of worship on Mount Gerizim. Ceremonially unclean, socially outcast, and religiously a heretic, this Samaritan is opposite of the lawyer, the priest, the Levite. Now remember, Jesus tells this story because of a question asked by a lawyer. Having finished the story, Jesus asks his question. And his question is not the narrow, limiting, who is my neighbor so I know who and who not to love, but instead, who proved to be neighbor? And unlike Jesus, the lawyer answers the question. And perhaps unwilling to speak the word Samaritan, he rightly answers. The one who showed mercy. Now we understand if the lawyer finds it difficult to speak the word Samaritan, and this being so, the lawyer is going to have further difficulty with the Gospel of Luke and with the book of Acts, also written by Luke. Because Luke, it appears, has no problem shining God's spotlight. On those we may wish to keep in hiding. And it begins even before Jesus is born. Mary, soon to be mother of Jesus, having been told by the angel Gabriel that she will give birth to a son named Jesus, announces, The Lord has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. According to Luke, when Jesus is born, the first to hear of the Savior are shepherds, humble, lowly, dirty, untrustworthy shepherds. To the multitudes arriving to hear the witness of John the Baptist, John has no words of blessed assurance. Instead, he tells those of good social standing, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits that befit repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. I'm not impressed. Jesus' first sermon in his hometown synagogue Almost proves fatal for him. Why? Though he preaches Scripture, everyone knows, they still don't like hearing Scripture telling them God blesses the outsiders and will even pass by his chosen people in order to do so. Sermon on the Plain, Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Telling a parable about a great banquet, Jesus speaks of a master, his invitations rejected by the well to do, then tells his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and maimed and blind and lame. Only in Luke do we find Jesus telling of the Pharisee and the tax collector who go to the temple to pray. And Luke says that as these two men leave the temple, it's the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who is justified. Only in Luke do we find the account of a father who, though having a responsible son helping him at home, throws the most extravagant of parties when his wasteful, reckless son returns from squandering everything in a distant land. Only Luke, in the book of Acts, tells of the baptism of a eunuch against the word of Scripture from the distant land of Ethiopia. And only Luke tells us the hero to a man beaten and left for dead is a man welcome in no place of worship, at no dinner party, in no one's home, a Samaritan. And of all persons, to tell us this story, it's Jesus. We thought Jesus was... To comfort us, to make us feel good, to look like us, to think like us? It's a story inviting the question, how well do we know Jesus? And the story at the same time tells us, knowing the words is not the same as knowing the word. Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor is teacher of world religions at Piedmont College in Demarest, Georgia. As part of her curriculum, Taylor will drive a van taking her students to various places of worship, including places of other faiths. These field trips provide Taylor the opportunity to listen in on the conversations of her young students. She writes, Sometimes when I'm eavesdropping on students in the college van, I'm sobered by the questions they ask each other to determine how Christian they are. Do you believe in the virgin birth and the physical resurrection? Do you believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God? Do you believe Jesus is the only way to God? She writes, Few of these students know that the items on their orthodoxy checklist do not date from the first century, but from the early 20th, when the Bible Institute of Los Angeles published a series of essays to establish the fundamentals of Christian belief. I wish, she says, I wish the Institute had spent as much time on the fundamentals of Christian practice so that students had more to talk about than what they believe. After all these years behind the wheel of the college van, I am still waiting to hear a single student vet another's faith by asking a different set of questions. How does being Christian change the way you live? What's the hardest part about loving your neighbor as yourself. What is your favorite way to pray? You see, I believe Taylor, with her desire to hear her students ask different questions, is touching the heart of this story before us this morning. Because this story is not interested in a lawyer's desire to save himself by way of his knowing the right things. It's a story interested in showing God is pleased when we do the right things. I was inspired when I began to serve as pastor at First Church to see this sign posted outside the food bank. It's a sign offering the rule of St. Benedict. and Matt, I think we have this sign before us. All guests who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ. Posted outside the first bank, the food bank of this church. It's an ambitious statement for a church to post, isn't it? It's not just a slogan, is it? Not just some pretty religious calligraphy. Still not easy words by which to live. You see, each week we receive at the church several calls from persons in need in this community. Persons who want help with utility bills, or rent, or gas, or food. And in one form or another, we are fortunate to be able to help practically everyone who calls. Still, there are those requests for help that get complicated. We received one such request this week. It's a call for help that then turned into several calls for help. Calls beginning to take up much time, and I confess, I was getting frustrated with this request. As Karen and I discussed, how to respond to this request, I remembered the word on my desk before me. I said to Karen, you know the gospel lesson for this Sunday is the Good Samaritan. I say somewhat reluctantly I'm I'm grateful for that moment because in that moment I knew the words of Scripture cannot remain words lifeless and flat on the pages of our Bibles. These words are to be written upon our hearts. These words are to shake us. They are to shout to us. They are to fill our mouths. They are to move our feet. They are to guide our hands. These words are not here to bless our prejudices, our opinions, our long-held doctrine. In case we forget that, there's a man who is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho who will remind us of what matters most. He will speak to us of how these words, when written upon our hearts, become words that save lives. Amen. I invite us to respond to the word as we affirm our faith with 1 Timothy number 889. Let us stand. There is one God and there is one mediator, Christ Jesus, who came as a ransom for all, to whom we testify. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels among the nations, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory Great indeed is the mystery of the gospel. Amen. As we stand, I invite us to welcome one another. We pass the peace of Christ. I invite our ushers to come forward. We worship God with his tithes and our offerings. Let us pray. you bless us. You care for us. You tend to our needs. You bind up our wounds. You pour upon us all blessings. From all we have received from you, we return but a portion, but we pray that in your care, it would glorify you, it would bless your children, and it would be a faithful representation of the love we have for you. Amen. As this community of faith, we are called to be people of prayer, to ask, to seek, to knock, to pray without ceasing. So we go to God, as he calls us to do in prayer. We do so with the prayers of the people, a responsive time of prayer, in which we name various petitions. I conclude each petition with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and invite your response, hear our prayer, and invite those, the naming of those concerns placed upon your hearts. We then conclude with our Lord's Prayer. Our prayer will differ slightly this morning because it will be a prayer that is guided and shaped by the story that we shared from the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter. Uh, But again, I will conclude each petition with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and invite the response, hear our prayer. We go to God as we pray. God of love, give us a deep love for you, so that we can see the world as you see it, feel it, the compassion you feel, and to be a people whose lives mediate your love to others. Lord, in your mercy. So open our eyes that we might see what the Samaritan saw. Grant us the insight to see the need in others, the wisdom to know what to do, and the will to do it. Lord, in your mercy. And so we pray for all those who in many and various ways have been stripped, beaten, and left for dead. We pray for children who must grow up in the most awful of circumstances, especially for those starved of love or food or shelter or security. May they receive the future you have planned for them. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for those we might cross the road to avoid, who have been excluded because of race, financial status, or history. May the dignity that you give be restored to them. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for those suffering atrocities because of war, injustice, oppressive governments. May the world be sensitive to their suffering, the factors that cause it and may they rejoice with healing and blessing. Lord, in your mercy. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might not cross the road from human need. Give us a deep love for you, that we might see your love at work in this world, and that we might go and do likewise. Lord, in your mercy, and hear us praying as Christ has commanded. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We stand as we share our closing hymn. And we go from this place as those who are called to be neighbors, to love our neighbors, and to love the Lord our God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. We go as a light into this neighborhood and beyond. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.